Hey, and welcome to Free Willing with Cardin Podcast. I'm your host, Cardin Wyckoff, disability advocate, wheelchair warrior. And we break down barriers for people with disabilities on this show, talking about stigmas and stereotypes and adaptive equipment and all kinds of inventions. And we also talk about people with disabilities who are also just totally kicking butt in their community and helping to create the world a more accessible and inclusive space. And today with that, I have a member from Ontario, Canada community, Anthony Frazina, who has a passion for accessibility and inclusion. And he still lives in Ontario and was born there as well. He was born with spina bifida and was privileged to adapt a person-first mentality in his early years, which a mindset he currently embodies in his everyday life. Two quotes that inspire him to be the man he is today are, adversity not only builds character, it reveals it. And it's not about the amount of times you get knocked down, but the amount of times you get back up. He currently works at Mohawk College as a student services representative at The Square. And he can be found in his community representing the Rick Hansen Foundation, the Catholic Youth Organization, and painting international wheelchair parking symbols with the forward movement. Anthony is a true testament of character, overcoming many obstacles along the way, breaking down and breaking through barriers so that he, along with the next generation, can enjoy an inclusive community and a community based fully on ability. I also want to bring your awareness to a mobile app, iAccess Life, which two of my great friends here in Atlanta developed. It is an app that provides transparency in the built environment so you can rate and review places on their accessibility, like restaurants and bars and bus stops and parks, and from things like the interior to the parking spaces to bring that transparency. It's like the Yelp for disabilities. You can find it on the App Store, Apple App Store or Google Play for Android and use referral code CARDEN, C-A-R-D-E-N, my name. You can find me on Instagram at Cardin, and please rate and review this podcast. Share it with a friend and let me know what you think. You can DM me on Instagram or text me 470-588-1215. All right, let's get to the episode. All right, wonderful. Welcome, Anthony, back to another episode of Free Will with Cardin. How's it going? Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Cardin. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, what a great day to talk about disability inclusion and advocacy. And I'm really excited to get to share your story and, and have listeners hear all the great things that you're doing to break down barriers for people with disabilities. But I mean, the things and the advocacy that we do for, I know it's generally specific to help benefit ourselves, but also the disability community, but it really just ends up benefiting everyone. So today's your time to just share. So I understand that you are living and have been diagnosed with spina bifida. And so let's start out with that. So... Yeah, so I was born with spina bifida, and I used to be able to walk with the use of the cane. My condition subsequently digressed to the point where at age 12, I had a very, very heavy surgery that left me using a wheelchair there on after, but I never really viewed it as a negative. I just always continue to view it as an opportunity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, I think, with every disability. You always see it as, okay, well, you have this obstacle, and you learn to adapt and then you just, you know, that's your life. That's what it is. Can you speak to that mindset shift? And maybe you were so young, so do you not remember that or as an adult? I mean, in terms of adapting, I mean, we all adapt one way, shape or form. I think the fact that when persons with disabilities adapt, specifically wheelchair users or just persons with disabilities in general, you know, the way we adapt may look a little unorthodox to the uneducated eye, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's our normal. You know, we're in a, mm-hmm. a time right now where we're all talking about a new normal, whereas people with disabilities kind of explore their new normal pretty much on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with this pandemic happening right now, a, a new normal is 
not necessarily something new for persons with disabilities. Mm-hmm. I love how you say that because I've actually had great conversations with some of my friends who also have disabilities. And they were like, for so many years, people with disabilities have been excluded from society in a number of ways. And it's almost kind of like an awakening for those who are non-disabled for this time of being in your house and not being able to go out and do things. It's a similar kind of mindset that you just can't be doing what you used to love anymore. Right. I mean, it's it's almost like people with disabilities need to adapt to society, not the other way around. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's and it's frustrating, you know, but at the same time, through uh, breaking down attitudinal barriers, educational barriers, mm-hmm. that's the continued mindset to build allyships. At least that's what I try to do in my community to help see the person first rather than the disability. Yeah, it's so important to see that, you know, it's not just you're not Anthony who has spina bifida or uh, Anthony is spina bifida or Anthony who uses a wheelchair. It's just Anthony, right? Absolutely. Who's out there making making an impact in the community. And so I know you have done an incredible amount of work. The first one that I read about was the forward movement. So talk to me about that because that's really cool. So the forward movement is in Canada, the version of the Accessible Icon Project that came from the States. Adapted by two gentlemen, Dylan Nitsikowicz and Jonathan Silver, I immediately came on board when I saw a Instagram post from a uh, a friend of mine who was a former Paralympic athlete who was posing with a symbol. You know, I immediately thought this was a game changer. You know, so I grabbed the guy's number and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. We've done plenty of painting parties. We've done, you know, awareness events, inclusion events, but it's more about increasing the conversation, being a catalyst for change, showing the person first rather than the disability. We've painted a lot of parking lots in the community, partnered with a lot of organizations to really get that symbol out there to the impact of what it can make in the community. I mean, a lot of people say, well, it's just a symbol, but it's not just a symbol. It's a a powerful opportunity to evoke change that is desperately needed. Yeah. And so just to kind of add some additional clarity onto those who aren't familiar with that accessible international symbol. So an easiest way that you can look is open up your phone and look at the emoji icons or the emoticons and and look for that blue wheelchair symbol. It's the wheelchair moving forward. And or if you see accessible parking, that blue logo that has the wheelchair, oftentimes you see it as a static image. So the the wheelchair and the person sitting in the wheelchair is standing or sitting upright and the wheelchair is, is just very 90 degrees. But this forward movement, as you're describing, is shifting the symbol from that very 90 degree static to a more 45 degree angle, as if you're you're rolling forward. Because we are rolling forward very quickly. We're making changes, <laughs> and that's awesome. And so, so many painting parties have have happened. And I've also noticed how a number of notable companies, major companies, have also signed up to make that change. Do you want to speak to that as well? Yeah. Um... Individuals like uh, Toyota have been on board with that. Many other organizations in Hamilton, where I'm from, has also been on board with it, with the Ron Joyce Children's Health Center, Hamilton Tiger Cats, and many more. Like we're about making that change, you know, showing the symbol as the opportunity to have conversations mm-hmm. that are often overlooked and overshadowed as afterthoughts, rather than part of mainstream conversation. How do people feel when you're talking to them about making that change? Do you ever find that people are like, well, what's the importance here? And and how do you help to change people's minds? Well, it's just about having that conversation about presenting it as a person first mm-hmm. and evoking the change as something that is very important to society. The return on investment, so to speak, if people invest in people with disabilities, the return on investment is uh, insurmountable. You know, it's tenfold to the opportunities that we can have. It's something something as easy as putting a ramp in front of your one-step building so yeah. that people with disabilities can get in. It's 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 easy. It's lo- it's so much easier to do. It's just 
getting people to be a part of the change, taking the effort, taking the initiative to make these changes will ultimately benefit their company or their organization tenfold. And how do you approach these companies? So if someone was interested in helping out, how do you go about it? I work with a great team here in Hamilton. We have a a lot of very willing partners, very, very willing organizations that are always willing to listen and always willing to understand when you use the numbers and the return on investment portfolio and scenario, you, you seem to garner a lot more interest. But at the same time, there's a lot of really great people that are very, very interested in being partners with you and making the change. I do a lot of speaking engagements in the community and I, and I recognize it from the fact that we're using a youth platform to help create the change. So when they become adults, they'll really have all the information that they, they need to be more accessible and more inclusive and have that mindset. That's really cool. Can, um, can you talk a little bit about that youth program? Because that's the thing. I think a lot of people with disabilities growing up for myself. So I was a spontaneous mutation known in my community, or I would say a very low number of people in my community had a physical notable disability. And if they did, it was just not talked about. And so I didn't really have any role models or mentors or anyone that could help tell me what, what is a wheelchair, how to, how to get you know, different kinds of adaptive equipment. So that's really cool how you're helping to empower the youth. And, and, and well, as a, as a young kid, uh, my life changed at eight. You know, I was still walking with the use of mobility aids and whatnot. But, you know, I met a gentleman at Marydale Park, which formerly was called Camp Marydale. And, you know, he offered a hand and he just said, welcome to Camp Marydale. And that, that was another game changer for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still involved with the organization. And we have subsequently built and opened Ontario's first fully accessible park and recreational facility in Binbrook, Ontario. So from start to finish, it's completely 100% accessible. And, you know, I'm, I'm forever, forever thankful. And I show a lot of gratitude to the medical teams and, you know, people in my life at a young age to help me get where I am today. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I do and how I speak and how I conduct myself is through gratitude. Mm. You know, right really now, nice. right now, one of the uh, things that I volunteer with, uh, unfortunately suspended due to COVID right now, but I volunteer with a, a group of young kids as uh, cheerleaders. Hmm. You know, as a youth disability cheer squad who's performed at events like Cats games. We performed at um, Bulldogs games. We performed Mm -hmm. locally in Hamilton at at certain events. But you know, hey, this 40 year old can, if this 40 year old can be a cheerleader, anybody can be a cheerleader. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And so is it, is it a group of people with disabilities who are the cheerleaders or is it you're just a part of it because you enjoy being in the community? Well, it's a group of young kids with disabilities as cheerleaders as well, ranging from, I want to say four or five to approximately 21, 22. And uh, it's just a great time, you know, to see the, the smiles and the laughs on everybody's faces. And, you know, I get the opportunity to talk to them, you know, whether individually or with their families and, you know, let them know my experiences growing up. So when their uh, young child, um, you know, grows older, you know, they can, you know, lean on someone like myself for support and happy to to give that to them. Sure. That's great. I, I love how they've started adding that in the community because over time, having that representation, they know... I, I mean, this is my personal belief that I think like people no longer see the disabilities. They see just, they're just people. They're cheerleaders. Absolutely. And that's all part of your, your mission for this person first mentality for the world. I kind of want to dive a little bit more into your growing up and, and what that has been like. What are some of the things that spina bifida pose challenges, obstacles, kind of a day in the life of, of Anthony? Well, you know, I, I try to, you know, approach every day with like a positive attitude. And if I foresee a challenge, I'll try to overcome it one way or the other. I mean, a lot of challenges is transportation, mm-hmm. you know, access from point A to point B with with dignity and respect and integrity. 
challenges such as you know being able to to do your job on a regular basis. I'm currently a student services representative at local college here, and you know, and combine that with all of my uh, my community efforts, and it's it's busy, but it's also a lot of fun. It's challenges are sometimes you know waking up with um, whether it be a little bit of pain or discomfort or anything of that nature that kind of hinders the day-to-day process maybe lack of sleep on a particular night because you're sore or whatever or even just kind of going through your day-to-day life you know getting ready have making your breakfast making your lunch so on and so forth that that does pose a little bit of a challenge i was talking yesterday with a another person about this theory called spoon theory and that what that means is you have a certain number of spoons for the day. You know, say you have five or ten spoons, and each task poses a is a is a spoon. Or some tasks can be three or four spoons and take up your whole day. With spina bifida, are are there anything? Is there anything in particular that is very difficult that takes a lot of effort and energy? I'm I'm more so just interested for myself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I have time management is key for someone like myself. You know, something that may take somebody five minutes may take me 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that goes part and parcel with the disability, the ability to have to pivot certain things that I do from one day to another, or just kind of getting ready at my own pace or doing things at my own pace so that I'm comfortable for the particular day. You know, routines often change day-to-day based on how you feel and how you cope, how you adapt. I'm fortunate enough to be in an environment where my core circle, my friends around me, my family, my support actually understand and, you know, know that, you know, this is affecting me today and I may have to um, pivot certain things, but Mm -hmm. we'll make it work, you know, planning ahead. Sure. The spina bifida, does it continue to get worse or is it is it just, you know, general aging progression? Aging progression, a lot of uh, body aches, a lot of pain in certain mm-hmm. areas tend to be more prevalent depending on the usage of the body, what you can use, what you can't use, how you use it, your body mechanics in terms of maneuvering from one place to the other. You know, for myself, it's in my lower spinal area. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of strength in my upper body to compensate what my lower body can't do. And then so to basically do what you got to do every day, right? We all, I mean, I personally have adaptive equipment in my house. Things like a shower chair and, you know, roller other yep. things. Is there any adaptive equipment that you love having and that you rely on? I, I have a shower chair myself. I've got a lot of bars in my condo to help raise me up from certain angles. Mm. I have to make sure certain, well, not not equipment, but certain things are in certain places so that I can adapt easier. Easier. Um, my counters are lowered. I have a lot of grabbers. Thank goodness for the dollar store. I'll tell you that much because you can get them there. Oh, really? Uh, you can? I didn't know or, that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Grabbers are phenomenal. Yeah, grabbers um, are great. <laughs> yeah. And then even like more um, stronger ones to help hoist me up on a certain uh, platform or so to speak. But yeah. Do you have a hoist lift? That's something that is going to come my radar probably in... I could probably see a few years. At this point, no, I don't. I'm okay. using again my uh, upper body strength to to get me from point A to point B. Got it, got it. And going from point A to point B, you, you're talking about transportation and not posing challenges. Do you rely on mass transportation or do you have a car? Uber? I don't drive. I, drive, I reside on a public paratransit system. Okay. And how is and that where you, you live? Oh, 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 I could go into oh. a novel. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> it's, it, it's there's definitely room for improvement, but at the end of the That's day, a nice it's way of putting it. <laughs> You're right. Well, you got yeah. It's definitely okay. getting better. Oh man. Okay. So, how about you? How's it where you are? 
So yeah, I don't I don't have a car, so I rely on mass transportation. Right now, I'm I'm still kind of skeptical with COVID, but relying mm-hmm. on mass tra- even though I know they're super heavy on on sanitation and everyone wearing masks. I think it's more so just an anxiety thing. Right. Um, but I will say our bus system is 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 great. We don't have like bus rapid transit or anything of that nature. So Atlanta traffic is horrible generally. So the buses are late just as much as a car would be. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. But the buses really go everywhere. The trains, not so much. We just have a, a cross right down the middle and right up and down the middle and then um, right in the middle, side to side. So the trains don't really take you really anywhere. It gets you to like a general neighborhood area and then usually it's usually have to go an extra mile or two to get to where you actually need to go. So that's where the buses come into play. So I don't, so our paratransit is connected with our mass transportation and you can only qualify for it if you don't use the regular buses and trains. And so because I use the regular buses and trains, I don't have paratransit available to me. So I can't just, you know, call and schedule someone to come and pick me up. I have to, you know, rely on the regular schedules and such. So. And that's the thing, you know, how do you dictate who and who doesn't qualify? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, how can you dictate that? Like, mm-hmm. in terms of disability, you know, you should qualify based on disability. Right. Exactly. I, I feel the same way. That's a whole other topic of conversation yeah. is yeah. transportation. Well, I mean, something that is has really been fascinating me in the last year is is really getting involved in the community city planning and transportation planning. And so I'm on now the Riders Advisory Council for our, we call it MARTA. MARTA is our rapid train and bus system. So we're working on that to improve it. And so just countless giving feedback on how can we make this better for people with disabilities? Because you're so right. How do you get to decide who does and doesn't get paratransit? It's, you know, right. I, I have a disability and I'm living with it every day. It's not like it's going to go away tomorrow. Right. I too reside on the advisory committee for persons with disabilities here in Hamilton. Oh, cool. And what are some of the things that you've given feedback on? I just think a lot of it is, you know, they don't really recognize people with disabilities mm-hmm. as people like International Day of Persons with Disabilities, December 3rd. It's not really a noted day that needs to be more uh, prevalent in communities. Um, Just in terms of housing accessibility, access Mm -hmm. to housing, access to transit, proper maintenance of roads and sidewalks. Um, You're talking my language. (laughs) You know, you know it. It's um, it's it's a constant struggle, but I believe the way I've uh, gone about it is been the right way and I am seeing progress. Good. You know, at the end of the day, I don't tell perfection. I celebrate progression. Mm, I like and that. One of the models that I use in my community is what I've developed is called the MICE method. And the MICE method is motivation, innovation, inspiration, celebration, education, and empowerment. Cool. I like that. So, innovation, you know, through, innovation, celebration, and, and inspiration, innovation, oh, celebration, oh, two eyes, okay. two eyes, yeah, celebration, education, and empowerment. Education, empowerment. Hmm. So, you're motivating people, being innovative, exactly. inspiring people, and educating. Education is huge, and also, education, in, I think, education and innovation are, are really, are really key, but. You can't, I think M, the motivation is kind of the first because Mm. if you don't, if you can't get people motivated to actually do and implement those things, then the rest of the letters kind of don't really matter. I mean, I think motivation and education go hand in hand, right? In order to get people motivated, you have to educate them. Absolutely. And you have to do so in a fun way so that they believe in what you're Mm. presenting. I don't want people to believe in me. I want them to believe in the opportunities that we have around us. Hmm. You know, in Canada, the uh, percentage of persons with disabilities is about one in one in five, one in six. So seventy-eight percent are able-bodied. Twenty-two percent represent, uh, you know, people with disabilities. 
that we know, know of, right? That are identified. That are identified that we know yeah. of. In Hamilton, the percentage of persons with disabilities, where I'm from, is greater than the provincial and national averages. Wow. Okay. So, so you have a huge opportunity for making your city and your area or your region, territory, I'm not sure what you all call it in Canada, um, yes. to be more inclusive for disabilities. Yeah. And something that I, I saw on Instagram the other day was it was like access gets you in the door. Is it like diversity gets you a seat at the table? I think this I took this from your Instagram. Ah. <laughs> it was like diversity gets you a seat at the table. Inclusion allows you to speak. And then belonging is being seen, heard, and valued. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's such a strong, empowering message. It's something that I, I take wholeheartedly and I, and I want to continue to preach that message to the, to our community and to communities across the world just to allow people with disabilities to have their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, uh, one of the things that we say in the disability community is nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's often pushed by the wayside. You know, these focus groups, they'll do these meetings, they'll do these events, and then uh, go pure 180 the other way. Mm-hmm. So it's often misrepresented. But I often look to ensure that it gets represented in my circle. Yeah, sometimes all you can control is what is your immediate circle. I mean, I know we all have inspirational goals to to tackle disability inclusion for the entire world. Absolutely. <laughs> sometimes we got to take it a step back and think, okay, let's start out chipping away here. And that's something I've really been working on in, in the city of Atlanta in Georgia is that you know a lot of it was city planning and sidewalks and transportation and getting on these committees and these boards to say, hello, don't forget about us. Because when you design with inclusion in mind and the sense of belonging, and also when you're designing with disabilities first, you really end up benefiting everyone. Things like ramps benefit everyone. Elevators help everyone. You know, low sensory and and natural light generally is good for most people. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times you know, a lot of planning and decision makings happen and they think of disability inclusion as an afterthought. Yeah, it's reactionary. It. Yeah, it's very reactionary. And it's uh, even planning an event, you know, make sure you have any materials that you're handing out to people in large print mm-hmm. or in braille. Or, you know, have events where the washrooms are on the main level, mm-hmm. you know, choosing a facility like that, choosing a facility where the carpeting is very easily uh, to be able to traction around, having PSWs, both male and female, available to people if needed. You know, it's all having that, you know, closed captioning, mm-hmm. live captioning, yeah. you know, described video. It's all part and parcel to community. You know, it's all right. part and parcel to everybody being allowed to live their lives with dignity and respect. Sure. And kind of breaking that down, because there, there's a lot of really great words. I know what they are, but maybe not everyone else does. So when you're saying um, audio descriptions, so what that is, is when you have a video or movie being played, it's just, or even a presentation, really, it's just you're describing what's on the screen, but you're also describing. What's happening? So, if there's a movie, you're actually you're saying what's happening. So, you know, X person comes in and sits down on the chair, looks angry, and you know, flips a cup or something. Um, <laughs> and for the closed captioning versus live captioning, the closed captioning is usually done afterwards, and it's edited. The live captioning is you have a live captioner, so you have a person that you've hired that is actually transcribing what is being said and is visible on the screen or on their device or you know wherever they're accessing it. Yeah, ASL interpreter is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An ASL interpreter is an American Sign Language, um, someone who signs, mm-hmm. who are deaf or hard of hearing. Sometimes he's a, a sign interpreter. 
So yeah, those are all great things to add in in any type of event to make it inclusive for all. And yeah. and and I think part and parcel um, piggybacking off that is to promote that rather than mm-hmm. say. Rather than having a person with a disability have fill out a form online to mm-hmm. where you ask for certain accommodations so that you can provide it. Have it proactively done that, you know, just represents more of a, a benefit for that person with a disability to say that, okay, hey, they're thinking about that stuff. That's really great. So that is more inviting to that person to want to attend that event rather than uh, saying, what, what can we do to accommodate you? Say, this is what we have. Is that's there something so we're missing? Definitely. Yeah, I think that's it's easy, you know, to have the that accommodations form and ask, but it, it's even better if you have that accommodations form. They're asking for a captioner or an ASL or you know whatever it is, a smooth path of travel or a, a sensory reduced area, a quiet space that you've already included. That it, it's no stress on you because you've already thought about it well in advance. And kind of segueing into some more of the other advocacy work that you're doing, you created a, a local television show. I tried Googling it to, to be able to watch it. I guess it's only local and, and live. Do I have that yeah. right? Okay. I would well, love I to watch to, it. <laughs> well, I'll give you the address. It's um, www.cable14now.com okay. or .ca. I apologize. And it, there's a uh, listing of when it could be on. I it's right now we're currently working on our third season. Nice. Nothing has been aired yet for the third season, but you know, first two seasons were, were great. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's been exciting to see people in my community say, Hey, you're the above and beyond guy. Thank you for oh, uh, cool. being that advocate. Such a celebrity. It, it, it's, <laughs> part, it's part and parcel to that, but you know, it's, it's, a lot about sending the message out that many people are, you know, don't necessarily have the voice or the, the confidence or the empowerment to, to spread it. You know, it's, you know, I may at the end of the day ruffle a few feathers along the way, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, as, long as, as you should, you're doing great yeah, you job in the community, really making you an have effort. To. You yeah. have to ruffle a few feathers to get your point across, <laughs> you know, and it's something that I, I take, in high value, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that, you know, some people may not understand, but, and that's okay. Let me help educate you. Let me help you understand why this is happening mm-hmm. because, you know, this is about the change that is overdue. Yeah. What are some of those topics on your, maybe your last season that you've talked about and do you, what's the style of it, the format? Do you have guests that come on and do you talk about it or is it just you kind of just talking about stuff? That is related it, to disabilities. A lot of it, and uh, I'll speak to one specific uh, topic that we actually just kind of finalized last week. We had a young lady on the show who wanted to create an accessible platform swing in the community. So she uh, went online and she started a GoFundMe account. She raised so much money. A local counselor caught wind of it and you know recently said you know accessibility shouldn't be fundraised mm-hmm. um so over this past year there was the consultation with the design company and the organization and this past weekend we unveiled a platform swing for wheelchair users what i've never been on one and that sounds awesome so it was awesome to experience this past weekend cool. um you know, you know, awesome. the, the process was phenomenal. This young lady is very inspirational. Mm-hmm. You know, and I use that term in a way that her dedication to her craft and her and her powerful commitment to what she does is something that you know, you know, resonates with me because mm-hmm. of the equal passion that I I have. She's also created mannequins in storefronts with people with disabilities. That's so cool. Mannequins in storefronts with disabilities. How cool. Like actually, you know, it has to be like physical disabilities, right? But yeah. that that's really cool. There's no representation in mannequins here, at least in Atlanta. I've never seen a, a wheelchair mannequin or, you know, a mannequin with crutches or canes or walkers or scooters or 
Um, yeah. Anything. That's even so if, cool. Even if something like as simple as attaching a medical bag to them, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, a, a, a trachea, a trach. Yeah, you know? a trach or even a colostomy bag. Stone colostomy bag. bag, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like a lot of, uh, and it's sure, I know it's a lot of representations on the physical aspect of it. Um, yeah. But that also, you know, gets people thinking about that they're, that is normal. Like that these normal. are, these are people. Absolutely. And, and breaking down that stigma that, you know, I, I for a long time, and that you know, this is me being an ableist person with a disability. I always thought that the the trachs and those bags were you know ugly and and not cute. And but to think you know that's kind of the the trach could be something that because the muscular progression that I have can affect lung function. And thinking you know, well maybe maybe in ten years I'll be using one. Who knows? And so I think really normalizing disabilities. That's and cool. and having that visual mm-hmm. is not a negative. It's again an opportunity, right? And putting it in such a spotlight that is so commonly seen, you know, something as simple as a mannequin in a storefront. People are walking by it all the time, and even if they they aren't really stopping and looking at it, it's their subconscious and you know their side eye and their peripheral vision. If they have that, is seeing that, and then. Those images over time, if you continue, what is it, like 15 times if you see and repeat something or do something over and over again, it, it ends up sticking with you. Absolutely. And, you know, even when people just visualize it and see it, you know, out, out of the side of their eye, as you, as you alluded to, you know, they're talking, they're going to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's going to evolve and it's going to grow yeah. and it's going to continue to make an impact. I mean, I've seen even stores like Target in the U.S. represent people with disabilities on their uh, website, on their website and their imagery and uh, in yeah. store, and uh, you know, and that's that's part of the growth, that's part of the process, that's part of what needs to happen. Yeah, Target worked with. I read an article that Target worked with Disney to add a whole line. Um, so they had a little bit last year, but this year they added a whole new line of adult costumes for. People specifically who have physical disabilities, um, notably with with wheelchairs, because you know a seated dress or a seated costume lays on your body way differently than you know someone standing or walking. The movement is so different, and I often find you know dresses and clothing to just be difficult to find because if yeah. you're in a in a ninety degree position all day long. You want that comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just the ease of getting it on. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, no, 100%. You know, like Velcro, you know, yes. button snaps, you know, things like that. I've, uh, I've been reaching out to local designers that I know here to help create a line of accessible clothing. Mm, cool. You know, even such things as Barbie, for example, they have a, a wheelchair Barbie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wheel. I saw that. Um, on Twitter, and I nearly almost cried because I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's a Barbie that looks like me!" And how cute! And there was this, the picture that was on Twitter was a girl, a little you know, young girl who was using a wheelchair, and, and wheelchair Barbie was yeah. sitting on a windowsill, and the the young girl was just like so elated. Her hands were up in the air, and she was. And I was like, oh my gosh, that gives me tears because I love how companies, notable companies are starting to normalize it and add it. And that that's something that they're thinking about. It's important. I know that exact photo you're talking about. Oh, I mean, yeah. See? <laughs> so, you know, and, and I was, I know what, I, as a male seeing that, I was, you know, elated for that young lady to see mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Even for myself, you know, and I, and I, I purchased that Barbie. And I have that proudly. Oh, you did! How cute! <laughs> I have it proudly sitting in my condo because of the representation of what it means. Oh, cool! You know, I have those Hot Wheels that I purchased in a local store. You know, I, I want that imagery displayed in my condo to continually remind myself why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not saying that I do or don't need a reminder. But for me, that's just kind of like a, a motivator. 
Right. And it also gives you a little bit of hope and reassurance that there are companies and there are people that are starting to think about this kind of stuff and everything that they do. Definitely. Which is important. And um, and it's motivating other companies to also get on the train and and do this because you can't say that you are designing for people and that you're making clothing for people when you're missing a huge opportunity and a huge percentage of the population that wear clothes just as much as any other non-disabled, able-bodied type of person. So, Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's some really great companies that are doing things. I think I saw Never- accessible, the, the play sets. Yes. Having, having a bigger playset, you know, how, how cool. And, and to see how children are seeing that and experiencing that at a young age is so critical for their development and Absolutely. their so mental health. They're so wide-eyed in seeing all these uh, mm-hmm. new opportunities and, you know, yeah. it helps them build their character for their future as you know adults you know to be more accepting of uh relationships and belonging and people with disabilities right and that feeling of someone thought about me or the type that i am you can't put a price on it it's it's invaluable and not to i mean if we're going specifically to children not only is it great for adults but at that young age, it's just so critical in, in what you're seeing of the world and how you're experiencing it and what is considered normal and not normal. But the relief, I'm sure, how parents are feeling as well that you know they feel that their children are being seen and heard and valued and that they can participate just about as equally as any other child can. And I think that's all that parents really want for their children is to not feel so excluded from society and you know i i tried to live as uh, normal as possible as life as a kid you know i played baseball i played sledge hockey you know i mm-hmm. participated in uh sporting events like any other kid growing up and you know that's the way my parents uh i grew up with my parents like you know you know there's if there's a will there's a way they'll be able to find it one way or the other yeah and we um we played uh we actually got to go down to Cooperstown, New York, to play yeah. on the uh, Major baseball League Baseball field. field. Yep, we put we were the first uh, team with a disability to actually play on that field. What? Cool. And um, you know, I I played the game a little way. I was I was a little younger and a lot thinner in those days, so I had a little <laughs> bit more flexibility and mobility. And you know, I would always like throw myself out of my wheelchair to, you know, make it to a particular base. I'd always come up. <laughs> How exaggerated. <laughs> well, I'd always come up with a dirty uniform, you know, laundry every night when I had a baseball game, you know. It, that's just that's my character. That's just who I am. How I'm <laughs> so extra. I love it. <laughs> so you, you got to go above and beyond. See it right itself. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the name of your TV show. <laughs> yeah. Above and beyond. And the only reason I know about Cooperstown, it's funny because my brother was on a traveling baseball team growing up. And so we, oh man, we would be all over the place. And so they mm. went up and played at Cooperstown, the championship. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I was, I was running. I was playing competitive sports as a child. So that wasn't something on my radar that I thought about. But it, it definitely came in high school. So a little bit of a, a shift in just the way that I thought about the world and inclusion and how I felt about how other people looked at me and treated me and... I think it was difficult in high school because so I have lordosis and it got it started progressing when I was in high school. So I definitely had a gait when I was walking and had a little bit of a sway back and it made me look that I was pregnant and oh. because just because the way that my my stomach protruded and all the time in when I would go to grocery stores and I would still be walking. You know, people would give me dirty looks and bad looks. And some people would be like, Oh, when are you expecting? And I think that's just so rude. Oh, right? it is. Absolutely. That, you know, just because someone looks a little bit different, we ought to assume that 
you know, someone is pregnant or someone looks bad or that's not what, how someone should walk. And it was like, you know, I may walk funny, but I got around where I needed to go when I needed to. (laughs) It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what, you know, we've got to let society know that, you know, we're people too and that, you know, we belong. This is how we belong. This is what we require. You know, there's a lot of discrepancy between needs and wants. Mm -hmm. Well, they want this or so on and so forth. No, we need this to be an equal member of society. You know, we need this to occur. We need this to happen. We need a ramp. We need a, an accessible door opener. We need dignity and respect the way we need to dictate it to you to ensure that, you know, we're equal members of society. You know, often things are overlooked and overshadowed by people making assumptions. And when people with disabilities are, you know, growing and growing and evolving, you know, it's the, I don't want to say able-bodied community. It's, uh, it's the community that flatlines us to say, okay, well, they've achieved enough. You know, when it's never enough. We continue to need to grow. We continue to need to empower one another. We continue to need to relay that message. Now, more currently with Above and Beyond, I'm now starting a not-for-profit charity to enact upon the words that I preach. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Do you have a name for it or is it well, still, still, it's still going to be called Above and Beyond? It's oh, still okay. Gonna be, yeah. It's still going to be called Above and Beyond. beyond, brand. Kind of beyond. It's, it's exactly that's what it is now. It's a brand. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, things that, you know, I've evolved and been doing over the last couple of years is, you know, creating a, a book, writing a book that's in the process of being published. Awesome. I've got a children's book that's in the process as well. So. Oh, cool. That messaging with Above and Beyond from the talk show has, a, has evolved into its brand now. It's, it's, there you go. It's Live your brand. It, and it's something that people recognize me for because it's not a, uh, it's not a nine to five. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's what people have to understand. Yep. Having a disability is not a nine to five. Being an advocate is not a nine to five. Oh, yes. That is so true. It is an all day, every day. And, I don't know what um, if anyone asks you this, but I get asked often of, oh, so when I go on interviews, they're like, oh, so what are some of your hobbies? And I'm like, my hobbies are making the world better for people with disabilities. Like that's, that's what, and they're like, and it's almost like they don't understand that that is like a, a full time, that is like a, a five times full time job. Um, <laughs> and they're like, so do you like, I mean, think of like traditional hobbies. I'm like, that's the thing is I'm not traditional. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. I'm extraordinary. <laughs> that you nailed it. You know, and that's and that's the thing. You know, I'm always thinking about above and beyond and I'm building, uh-huh. you know, relationships with people. Mm-hmm. I'm building powerful relationships in my community to ensure that people get it. You yeah. know, it's one thing to tell me you get it, but show me that you get it. Mm-hmm. You know, by actually continue. making change or telling <laughs> people about it. Absolutely, you know, be be a leader that you be the leader that you are, and help make that change that is necessary. Sure. So many great nuggets of information that we've been talking about. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been different than a lot of my other podcasts, which have have been. We've talked a lot more on the just disability stereotypes and stigmas and Uh-oh. breaking down barriers, and I love that because it's it's. A conversation that needs to be had. Definitely. Um, things like, you know, the your your mice method and motivating and educating and innovating and it's how companies companies are really doing awesome work breaking down those barriers. And so yeah, anything else that you want to share? I mean, we can talk for I can talk for hours about this. I mean, you and I know this is our lifestyle. <laughs> we we can continue to go on. So how's your day going? <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know you just continually evolve. When uh, mm-hmm. at eight years old is when my life com- completely changed to that. You know, it's yeah. Even though I was still undergoing a lot of change, I stabilized after that surgery at age twelve. But then I realized that, you know, this was my opportunity to give back. And I'll give you a quick story. One of the other jobs that I do in this community is being a standardized patient. So basically, uh, 
OTs, PTs, students that are learning, nursing, students, oh, whatnot. Okay. You act as their quote unquote guinea pig uh, for, you know. That's important though. That's it good. is. It, and, it's, and it's something that I value quite a bit. So in learning, the one day I actually had the opportunity to go to a classroom and the instructor was one of the individuals on my medical team growing up. No way. How so, cool. So essentially, okay. the reason why I do why I was doing it was to say thank you to those kind of mm-hmm. those people that helped me growing up. So to be able to say thank you to that gentleman in person was something that I'll never forget. Yeah, that's awesome. Total full circle on that. Exactly. That's really important to to be thankful. I think a lot of times when we're doing the work. It feels so slow and like nothing ever gets done. But yeah. it's those small milestones every time that, you know, a new curb cut comes in or, you know, one small change is made or, or someone adds a, a signage here. It's, it's the chipping of the way of the iceberg to just create that transparency and, and that feeling so that those that are out in the world can thrive and not have to worry about. Like the, the Atlanta is is difficult in the built environment. It's getting a lot better, but the, their sidewalks are are horrible. Are horrible. There's a lot of missing curb cuts in in certain sections of the city. It's really good, and then there's other sections where it's like I I'm not even going to go over there. It's just so bad. Like it's totally inaccessible for me, and or I'll just be rolling in the street, and I can't just hop a few steps to go into no. the the um like the pizza shop or something like that. So with that it's and I don't even I have totally lost track of where I was going, but <laughs> I think um oh the day in the life kind of thing is working with community leaders and city advocates um city councilmen to to really try and make that change and something that I am on I started a task force on the true woman in the city of Atlanta to help provide accessibility in our city hall, in city hall's engagement and outreach in their um, like when they're posting public meetings or when they're doing things in the community and then also the technology that they're using for meetings and making sure that they have those things like closed captioning and real-time captions and and I think I I don't think I've gotten a hundred percent support of like Okay, this is so important. Like, we should be investing a lot of money in this. It's almost kind of like trying to prove to them that it's important. And I'm wondering if you could shine some more helpful tips on on how to get people to really care, especially those in power that have the ability to make the change but aren't quite there. A lot of it is really based on accountability. You know, holding people accountable to change, to the opportunities that it can present itself to be a more inclusive community, to be more accessible. I mean, there's pros and cons to doing, quote unquote, a day in the life of somebody who uses a wheelchair. Um, So we've bandied that about. But there's other options. And just kind of getting people to see you as a person. Once they see you as a person, Mm -hmm. they're more more inclined to be on board with the uh, image that you represent. You know, going to committee meetings, being a face, being recognized, mm-hmm. being being listened to before you can be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, we deserve to be heard at the end, but once people get a a sense of who you are as a person, you know, you garner that respect and that community to help relay the message of, you know, you deserve to be an equal member of this community mm-hmm. and this is how we can do it. And you, you, you're heard out. Mm. Thank you. One of, the, one of the things that um, I'm currently proud to be involved with is uh, the 2026 Commonwealth Games. We're on the, uh, as the accessibility advisor. So we're still waiting for formal approval of the games. Mm-hmm. Once we city, I, I've promised to ensure full accessibility and full inclusion like never before. These are the only games in the history of uh, international games that represent both 
able-bodied sport and para-sport at the exact same time. Mm. How cool. How do you get on these opportunities? That sounds awesome. It, it, it's networking. It's networking, building relationships yeah. with people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people, you know, knowing who you are, you know, sure. making, and, and I don't say that as an, as a negative thing or a, a bad thing. I just continually attempt to make my presence known. heard in the community known. Exactly. Yeah. My presence known. And, um, you know, there's people that may not like me in terms <laughs> of how I do certain things, but, you know those those get overshadowed by the the positive impacts that we continue to make that progression. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell it the power of progression through a local um, t-shirt provider here in Hamilton, True Hamiltonians, who's well known. He's helped me uh, to, uh, create the t-shirt that says Hamilton is accessible. Cool. Yeah, the the, the brand itself is called Hamilton is home, mm-hmm. but the True Hamiltonian gentleman, you know, helped me create Hamilton is accessible. Again, to shed light on the progression, you know, it's not about perfection. You know, we're not telling full accessibility. We're telling the progression of where we need to go, the momentum that needs to be uh, undertaken, the momentum that needs to be continual. You know, we can't stop. We have to build that progression, that momentum to keep going, Mm -hmm. to alleviate all those assumptions-based mindsets, the stereotypes, the stigmas. That's cool. And and so the work that you're doing, do you ask people, do you have your services paid for? Um, at this or do point, you do a lot of it pro bono? I do a lot of it pro bono. Um, yeah. A lot of it is uh, you know volunteer. But again, it's to evolve mm-hmm. into that, that area. You know, it's... Right. Um, you know, uh, with... Um, with everything that I do, I do it with passion and I do it with pride. I mean, people have asked me to do assessments on buildings to mm-hmm. help make it more accessible. I've had that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a great, like, you know, we've done that. I actually uh, really do enjoy that. It's, it's really great to be able to do that. I love when people ask me to do that. It's, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really humbling feeling to be asked. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, even in October is Disability Employment Awareness mm-hmm. Month. So, you know, yeah. it's about educating people to hire people with disabilities, you know, even mm-hmm. uh, during an interview and disclosure, and there's no need to disclose, or if the person chooses to disclose, how to disclose, mm-hmm. uh, when to disclose, you know, it's, it's, it's personal choice. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it could be a benefit to that individual to disclose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's finding the opportune time to disclose. and. You know, as you know, somebody who you know uses a wheelchair, you know, to get into that job interview, you know, I have to disclose that the yeah, the facility right. must be accessible. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, One of those mindset shifts that um, I was speaking to internally at the company, he worked at a, a former company, and he was a recruiter, and he remembers. Interviewing, you know, setting up an interview for someone, and they never disclosed that they had a disability or that they used a wheelchair. And, and I, you know, whether or not that's on the fault of the person with the disability or the recruiter, it's almost, it, it kind of, it's both people. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the, he, I remember his mindset shift, and he's the recruiter is a, a non disabled, you know, able bodied person. And, the the guy who uses a wheelchair didn't show up for the interview, and he emailed you know four hours later or something, and was like I I couldn't I couldn't get into the building because there wasn't an elevator and there wasn't a ramp, and the oh, recruiter wow. yeah and it's just like that small mindset shift that the recruiter was like I never even thought about that and it it almost it does sometimes take people with disabilities to to show that and and to have those experiences that sometimes aren't great to be like, wow, you know, I, I didn't even think about that. And so now that's something that's in always in his conversation of, you know, describe to me any accommodations that you need regarding the building. And, or and it, even if you don't even ask, you can just say that proactively. You can say, you know, the, the building it has pushed open buttons, there's an elevator, you take it up to the fifth floor and, and that's where the interview will be held. You don't even have to ask if someone has a disability. You can just 
provide that in, in the notes. Exactly. Those goes part and parcel to what we talked about earlier with mm-hmm. event planning, being proactive rather than right. reactive. You know, that helps people get a job. Like January 1st, 2021, here in Ontario, website accessibility has to be 100% compliant. No way. That is so awesome. So, you know, being accessible through PDF screen readers, being able oh, to really. access a website from a fully accessible com- a corporate website, a business website, organizational websites all have to be WCAG web, um, website compliant, mm-hmm. accessible. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the acronym fails me at this point, but... Uh, yeah, WCAG Ally. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Ally, yeah, yeah. All has to be compliant by January 1st, 2021. That is amazing. And, and so those listening, what website accessibility is, is you know, for those who use assistive technology to see and, and use the website, they have the screen read out to them aloud. And so it's called JAWS or even voiceover on a Mac versus Windows. And it, it reads out what's on the website. So I'm looking at right now, I have a website that says Squadcast. So it would, it would hover over that and say Squadcast. And then the next heading would be Recording Session. So it would, it would read aloud with the page. It's a, a text-to-speech kind of thing and allows users to be able to use the World Wide Web just like anybody else. And, and the challenges that face are websites are just not built in a, in a type of format that's required. There's bad contrast on colors, which is everywhere. It's just, oh, I see it's so bad. I see like yellow on white and I like cringe. So I'm like, yep. oh, I can't read this. <laughs> Even I can. <laughs> and I'm, I'm cited. Filling out forms, you know, when you're requesting information, if you can't hit the go button with your keyboard, that's a problem. So, or, or having fun autofilled. Yes. Yeah. You know, having to be able to um, put the information in like, on a form as opposed to having to print out the form, write the information, scan it, you know, and it's a lot more work. You know, it's. And again, going back to that same narrative that when you design for accessibility for people with disabilities, you benefit everyone. When you can. I mean, I don't know if it, maybe listeners, if you've ever just hit the enter button to hit go, to, to load a page, to hit submit, to hit send. If you've ever used a keyboard to, to navigate down the scroll bar, so using the down arrow or the up arrow or the tab, that's all part of web accessibility, using the keyboard as, as the ability. So if you don't have the ability to use a mouse, you have to use the keyboard. So yeah, that's really great. I wish the United States would be more proactive in that sense. That's that's really awesome. Who's the is that the government that that's the AODA, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Mm. Okay, so that's your Canadian. Yeah, that's like your equivalent to the ADA. Yeah. Okay, what is it called again? The Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Oh, so it's specific to, to your territory, Ontario. So Ontario, yeah. Oh, so specific to Ontario. And then last, I want to say two years now, we unveiled the Accessible Canada Act. Mm, so the ACA? Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, a lot of things with the acts, the AODA and the human rights and whatnot, unfortunately aren't as policed as they should be. Mm-hmm. You know, not enforced. That's the same with so, the ADA. It's not enforced. And that's, that's the problem mm-hmm. um, in terms of this, uh, the continual change. Like Ontario is supposed to be fully accessible and fully inclusive by 2025. Mm. You know, wow. The, like the built the, environment website is how everything? Built environment, procurement of goods and services, technology, oh, communication. Oh. Everything is supposed to be streamlined. AODA compliant by 2025. And we hold, you know, the problem is, you know, we don't hold people accountable. Well, we thought we were accessible, we, you know, that, you know. And while I agree with the AODA, there is some wiggle room for accessibility because mm-hmm. at the same time, there's universal accessibility yep. versus personal accessibility. You know, it's, 
You know, a lot of certain uh, strengths-based approaches, you know, are based on individual needs. Like even going back to the discussion we had earlier about the uh, paratransit service, you know, they're considered a quote-unquote door-to-door service. Well, I personally don't need access or to be walked to the door. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can get on and off the vehicle on my own. If I need assistance, I will proactively ask for it. The wheelchair is an extension of who you are. And mm-hmm. if you're going to touch a wheelchair, you ask first. There's that language, that communication that is misrepresented in the fact that, oh, you have a disability here. Let me, you know, it's almost that baby talk, so to speak. Like, yeah, I almost like that it's a... There's different models of how people view disabilities and and that one that you're describing is that tragedy model of you deserve you have pity on you and feel sorry for you and, and that we all require a hundred percent help all the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean there are there are individuals that do require a hundred percent help all the time. Yep. Um, and and so but it's different for every person. So Right. And it's finding that fine line between everybody, especially when you're mm-hmm. When you're a certain company or a certain organization that could really use that and really understand what the AODA is about, what human rights is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing to consider is that accessibility and and helping people with disabilities, it's not a checklist. It's not no. like, okay, got the captioner, got the ramp, got the elevator, we're done here, no more. It's it's a continually evolving thing. And, and again, those individual needs are different for everyone. And so that's why it's important to have asking, asking what, what accommodations do you need? Because it could be different for every person. When you're planning an event, that could be difficult to, to provide. You know, If you have a 200,000 person event, which I've been on helping plan for the accessibility, you can't meet every single person's exact need. But if you can bucket it and then do the best that you can, just for scalability wise, that's that's important as well. But also, it's important to also recognize don't do something because it's easier. Take the time to mm-hmm. be innovative. If you're doing something for individuals, you know, take the time to know that person and know their skill set and know that you can help that person individually by doing this, this, and this mm-hmm. versus the universal approach where you're denying somebody dignity and respect mm-hmm. by that universal model. Right. Oof, this has been heavy, man. <laughs> Ooh, yes, <it> <laughs> wow, this is an awesome conversation. And I just I really appreciate your time and your expertise. No, thank you. Thank you. And no, this is great. Yeah, this has been this is awesome. Yeah, I, I'm excited to air this episode. Well thanks again, Anthony, so much for your time and, and thank you. And we'll we'll stay in touch. On Instagram and yeah, Twitter keep in touch. Things. You know, anything I can do to help you guys, you let me know, and uh, we'll go. We'll we'll have a lot of fun. Thank you so much. All right, take yeah. care. Take care. Thanks, Carden. Bye. Bye. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast, or text Carden at four seven zero five eight eight one two one five with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.